Hello, friends, and welcome to Beauty the Interviews, a podcast production of The Beautiful Project, a storytelling collective that invites women to be and do and live and love in their bodies. I'm Sarah Stevens, your host for this podcast and the founder of The Beautiful Project. A trigger warning for today's episode with Joni. We talk in depth about her life as a survivor of domestic abuse. So if that's part of your history, be sure that you're taking really good care of yourself today as you choose to listen to Joni's story. Joni is a gifted storyteller. She is exceptional at weaving together the details to paint a picture not only of the life that she lived, but of how she ended up there. And for me, that was the part that really resonated, this um, truth about the ways that we can shrink and lose ourselves in our relationships. Joni is also a woman who is completely dedicated to her own healing, and those are insights that she's willing to share with all of us. So without further ado, let's drop in and hear from Joni. This is my friend Joni, and Joni and I have just sort of found each other in this last year, um... Someone, I think, through the Beautiful Project, actually, was the original touch point, maybe. I don't really remember. It doesn't actually matter. Joni um, has this extraordinary light about who she is and how she um, presents herself in the world, and it's very easy to be drawn to her. And we spent some time together in the beginning. She shared just a little bit of detail, and I knew right away that she had a survival story to share. So thank you for coming on and saying yes. Thank you. You're thank welcome. you for having me. Yeah. You've just been magic since we've met. There's been <laughs> so many different connection points and so many yeah. like-minded events and, and yeah. visions that we have for women, for each other, for our goals. And it's, yeah, I love this journey. Thanks. Me yeah. too. So, Joni, we will start with a question I ask everybody. Tell me what you think it means to be a survivor. Wow. Well, and that's a loaded question, as as all of them will be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I see so many perspectives. Mm-hmm. And I, in my journey, I get to pick up on patterns, and I see multiple perspectives on, like, let's just say, surviving. Um, what it means to me is to have overcome adversity mm-hmm. with a smile. Mm where you are still able to show up in the world and still say, that was something that happened to me, but that isn't me. Mm. That is something that, I mean, adversity is going to happen in life. Nobody escapes it. No one in the human race has ever not gone without trauma, loss, grief, um, betrayal, deception, all of the things that make us feel badly. Mm-hmm. But it's how we choose to overcome it. And um, we can make healthier choices. Mm-hmm. We can only make the choices that we know to make mm-hmm. based on our influence or what we know in the moment. Mm-hmm. And that's so where hindsight comes in always, right? Yeah. And um, yeah, it's who, it's who you choose to be outside of that. How you choose to define yourself. Outside of the thing you've survived. Outside of the thing or things that you've survived. Because what's traumatic to me may not be as traumatic to somebody else or impact them in the same way where it would be, you know, PTS. Mm -hmm. I don't like to call it PTSD because I don't believe it's a disorder. Yeah. And there's, yeah, there's some new thoughts on that in the mental health world. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. That's, that, I really, I really resonate with that, with the, it happened to me, but it isn't me. 
Yeah. You don't have to claim ownership to it in the way of like allowing it to be the thing that cripples you for the rest of your life. It defines you completely, right? Right. Yeah. Because we're more than our suffering. Yeah. So um, with that being said, I want to invite you to share with the audience whatever it is that you want to share about what you have survived. I've survived a lot of things. Yeah. I, you know, when, when you asked me it, when you said it, uh, told me it was going to be a survival series, I was like, which thing? Yeah. Because in my head, I, uh, I've i known in my life that I've survived many things, mm-hmm. birth being the first thing. I was mm-hmm. born really prematurely mm-hmm. and uh, had been told my whole life, like, oh my gosh, it's a miracle that you're even here. Wow, you I didn't know that. Yeah, I was uh, two months premature. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I learned that babies are the ones that trigger birth... <laughs> In the mm. mom's brain, I was like, I hit the eject button a little fast. <laughs> and my, my, I used to think, oh, hey, it was because I just couldn't wait to get out in the world and live, mm-hmm. which there's some truth to that. I am one for adventure and I love life. And then there, I was really sad because I was like, was the environment that I was in, that I was incubating in, so toxic mm. that I would have rather chosen my chances prematurely, mm-hmm. literally, um, then stay inside of that toxic environment anymore because it was a really rough time in my parents' marriage during that pregnancy. Wow, that's, um, that's fascinating to think about, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's the I get either new wrinkles in my brain or it's like <laughs> blows my noodle. <laughs> so. Um, I, you know, I survived that. I mean, somewhere along the way, I had to have some will to survive. Um, I went down to two pounds and then I got spinal meningitis from the hospital. Um, I contracted it from the environment. Um, and I lived and I've lived to tell about it. So I've always felt this very strong purpose Mm -hmm. because I survived that. Right. Right. Like I didn't, I wasn't just the sickly baby. I chose not to look at that and keep the sickly baby mindset. Yeah. But it was like, okay, I survived for a reason. Now what is it? Right. Right. What am I going to do with it? Yeah. Clearly I've been spared death. Mm -hmm. So I'm on my way. Here we are, world. (laughs) Planted in you a sense of purpose. It did. It did. I mean, as early as five years old, I remember. Wow. Like staring at the sky and noticing the depth of blue and white and going, all right, what am I going to do? What are we here to do? So um, there was that. And then... Have you uh, found that, in my experience in life, people are either wired that way or they're not? The, like, the people who stare at the sky and want to see past it. Yeah. Or the people who just stare at the sky and go, oh, the clouds look fluffy. There's, like, two... Right. I just think like there's two <laughs> kinds of people. Yeah. And I, I was always the kind who would, you know, uh, we'd be outside catching fireflies, and I didn't really care about that. Like, I wanted to look up at the sky and I wanted to understand where the stars came from. Yeah. Not, you know, yeah. I, I've never taken a thing on the surface and gone, Oh, that's enough. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. I was the Y kid. Yeah. Still am. I did a whole podcast on getting stuck at Y. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Because, uh, you know, we can get stuck there too. For We're sure. trying to figure out why. Cause that's like a never ending journey. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, looking at the vastness of the universe and all that we are and all that, mm-hmm is combined to, to formulate us and our complex experiences and mm-hmm. the privilege that we have with where we are born versus other others and totally. other cultures and right. Yeah. So then we just, we have this, here we are right where we are. We're planted. This is our time in this season. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, it's just think it's, it's an evo- a process of evolution and it's a process of growth and yeah. it really is like an adventure and a journey. It is. Um, surviving became then a way of life for me. Mm. And I think, um, 
you can pride yourself on survival, right? And it's almost like a false sense of pride. Mm-hmm. Like, I survived this, and we can attach ourselves to that story, and it can be like a, the glory days, like, you know, Braveheart yeah. <laughs> kind of story. Yeah. But sometimes there's there's a false glorification in that because we we break away from truly feeling the things that we went through Mm -hmm. and allowing the healing process to fully take place. Mm -hmm. And we kind of veer off or dissociate or dissect our feelings, um, compartmentalize, which is also a sign of trauma sometimes when we hyper compartmentalize things and we just immediately want to go to the glory of it Mm -hmm. instead of going, I'm going to sit with this for a little while. I'm going to acknowledge that I'm that I went through that. Right. The pain. The pain. Yeah. Yeah. It's an avoidance. Yeah. We um, there's all kinds of avoidance tactics. And it's been this has been a real big topic in my friend circle this week mm-hmm. as far as uh, at what point is it um, unhealthy avoidance, mm-hmm. and at what point is it that you're moving on? Right. At what point is it trauma response, mm-hmm. and at what point is it well I just have to get on with life because that's what I got to do to survive. Right. right. Um, and then I hated survival for a while. I hated having survived sexual abuse as a child, mm. physical abuse from angry, you know, dysfunctional boyfriends that my mother had, mm. bullying where I got beat up uh, by boys in the in the neighborhood we lived in, called names uh, for my physical appearance. I was at that really awkward stage of development where mm-hmm. your body develops and your height forgets to follow with it. Yeah. So you're just super, you know, awkward and everything feels weird anyway and you're pudgy and mm-hmm. stocky and nothing you don't look like the other girls. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you know, right during that time, I remember getting hit by boys. Um, and then that led me into I had a quiet space there for a little while when I went and lived with my dad. Um, and How old were you then? I was 13. Okay. So uh, we went and lived with my dad and stepmom, and um, that was like a nice break. It was like a breather, kind of what normalcy felt like. You was know? there an event that preceded that? Um, my mom's boyfriend, okay. yeah, he um, was an alcoholic, okay. extremely physically abusive to her. Um, in fact, I, I share the story. Like It was more than just... I mean, he had to have had another mental illness. I mean, alcoholism is pretty ugly, but he would, um, I remember one night they had a lot of dogs in the house and we were there and he uh, was sleeping. I was sick and I was sleeping on the couch and the dog had just pooped in the living room floor. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was like the pile of steam poop. (laughs) I couldn't even just like avoid, you know, ignoring it or cleaning it up. It was really bad. So I woke him up and I said, Hey, your dog just crapped all over the floor. And he got up really angrily and he grabbed the dog and just put its face in it and beat it and beat it and beat it. Mm -hmm. And then brought it over to me and sat the dog next to me and looked at me and said, there, are you happy now? Oh my gosh. And I'm sitting here with this whimpering dog. Like we're all scared. And it's like, my throat even closes up when I tell the story because it's so, it was just such a defining moment in me, yeah. in, in my life. And, you know, he, he was just that level of cruelty mm-hmm. where you could have no empathy. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that that was going to be what became the rest of the romantic relationships that I've had in my life. That model? That model became my normal mm. in relationships later. How old were you when that happened? I was 12 or 13. Okay. Yeah. And 
that between that incident and I think it was like maybe that around the same time my uh he had become really abusive toward my mom. My sister and I were trying to defend her. You know, we would just get slapped away. We'd fall down, and he was, my sister did something to him, and he was chasing her on a sheet of ice outside. So I had to run to the neighbor's house several houses away and call my dad and, like, come get us. We're mm. never coming back. Like, please come get us. That's what happened. I mean, yeah, he at one point tried to kidnap us from my parents' house. He got really drunk after we refused to go back. And um, we had to have him arrested. Um, it was so scary. It put my family through a lot of trauma. And you were only 13. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That became, uh, you know, and so you, know, you get a break from all of those things. And then you come out and you're like, I'm never going to be that thing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do everything right. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do everything opposite. So I never end up that woman. Yeah. So I had a few boyfriends in high school, but I was really afraid to date. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, my fear of, of men and even intimacy with men was very, very real. Mm-hmm. It still is to some, to some extent to this day. Yeah. Um, so in college, mm-hmm. I got my real first like sexually active boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, I thought I was doing everything right because he didn't fit the same description as the type of man that my mom would date. So tell me about that type. That type. It mm-hmm. was, you know, uh, like, I don't want to put any labels on it and offend anyone, but it's like very masculine, mm-hmm. um, take charge kind of a guy, uh, very good, very handy, can fix things, fix cars, you know, gets greasy. So real, like a stereotypically rah, rah, rah. masculine. Totally. St- toxically yeah, likes, masculine. Likes a lot of sports, gotcha. you know. <laughs> yeah. It's and, okay. We have a, I have like a 99% female audience. And so I don't think Oh my God. Anybody. Well, right. You know, I'm worried. And why am I worried about the 2%? Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> You don't need to be. Okay, so we got, you know, you, there are several different, well, you know, I'm, my, I've changed in how I see people, mm-hmm. you know, not seeing them clearly in their, you know, gender, but looking at their personality types and things that make their heart kind of free, you yeah. know? So I don't look at gender the same way that I yeah. used to. So that's why I'm like, okay, which, which person, which part of my life am I going to explain this through, <laughs> through the eyes of then or through the eyes of now? Yeah. Um, so it was just, you know, really in his masculine. Mm-hmm. And that is attractive to me. Mm. And yet it's been the thing that's hurt me mm. my whole life. Mm-hmm. So I, um, this guy was really charismatic, very, you know, really wasn't into all the sports and all of the car fixer-upper stuff. You know, he was really, um, seemed very gentle, very smart, very much in um, singing and arts Mm. So he was a student yeah, council like, class president. Like softer, just he wore loafers and polo shirts. Oh yeah, and loved that's... his grandma. You know, I'm like, <laughs> you are perfect. I don't care that you're not my physical type. I totally went against what I was normally physically attracted to. Mm-hmm. You know, he was balding. He was a little bit bigger. He was super, super tall. I was like five foot four. He was like six foot four. Mm. <laughs> so whole foot taller than me. And I just thought he has such a great personality. I'm just gonna go off that. Mm-hmm. And that was like the beginning of the cra- one of the craziest relationships I'd ever been in. Really? My whole 18-year-old world was turned completely upside down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't know he, had, he was diagnosed with a borderline personality disorder. His mom didn't tell me that. Mm-hmm. Um, his, he had so much family drama and turmoil, um, drug abuse I didn't know about. 
sexual partners I didn't know but it was like I was living two different lives yeah I was living lives with this man that I I knew he was my first just real diehard I'm in love mm-hmm. we can you know anything's possible mm-hmm. love the right? first love the yeah. first first love and then yeah and then there was this whole other side to him which was a complete different life how did you find out about the other side um well, in four months into the relationship, at four months in, we had our first real big fight. And I always tell people, four months it just seems to be the real big mm-hmm. time where you start, you're just getting comfortable with each other. Mm-hmm. You're settling into your relationship. You're not, that new relationship energy is a little bit less, yeah. you know, spastic. Yeah. Um, and we were going to go to Arizona and see his family, see his dad. I was going to meet his dad. And I'd never been on a plane out, you know, alone without my family. Mm-hmm. And I was taking my first big girl trip. <laughs> and uh, he came over and I was saying goodbye to my parents. We lived together. And he saw a picture on the refrigerator of me and one of my best friends from high school from prom the year before. Mind you, I'm 18, almost 19. And um, he got jealous. He thought my family was trying to tell him he wasn't welcome. Oh, wow. And it was like just a series of pictures that were rotated every yeah. week. My sister was doing her chores. My younger sister, she was still living at home. And we always had a set, you know, set chores that we were supposed to do. And we would just rotate pictures. Yeah. Sometimes it would be me and friends from high school. Sometimes it would be my younger sister and her friends or her little boyfriend, you know? Like, right. it was just whatever. And he took that as a, he took it so personally and was so jealous. Mm. And this guy was the jock type, right? Mm-hmm. He was, you know... Not him. Mm-hmm. So we get in the truck, and I could tell he was upset and agitated. And all of a sudden, he started pounding the console with his fist, screaming at me that um, I'm screwing around on him, and if that's the guy I want to be with. And I was just mentally like, what? I mean, it was such a, a just a mental effery. It was like... You can say mind fuck on here. Can I say mind fuck on here? Because that was, it was fuck. the one of the biggest. I didn't know who, yeah, exactly who was listening. So moms, if you have kiddos yeah, in the background, by the way, put your yeah. headbuds in. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the Fs might start flying. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was the biggest, just, I'd never, and it took me back to that place mm. of my mom's boyfriend. Right. So he didn't look like it, but he was still it. On he the was inside. still it. Yeah. And, you know, being diagnosed with a borderline personality disorder, that can mean a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Not every person with that diagnosis is a narcissist, sociopath, or a psychopath. Mm-hmm. But there is a subset that do flow in that realm. Yeah. Um, and he was very clearly a narcissist, you know, knowing what I know now, looking yeah. back. Um, but it was, it was total victim mentality, um, just being victimized himself. And he just lived in that space where, mm. yeah. And it, it was his trauma that made him behave that way or that caused him to behave that way. But it just, that was just the beginning of the, of the cruel things, mm. you know. Um, a lot of his was mental, not as physical. Mm-hmm. But still, I was not the same person when I left that relationship. And every time I tried to leave, there would be some way to weasel back in, mm-hmm. either his codependency or mine, Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, it was just really odd to see how strongly almost like magnetic, Mm -hmm. that we were attracted to each other. Couldn't stay away. So um, my dad finally had a job offer about three hours away from the Quad Cities and radio. And my dad said, take it. I want you to take it. Because he said he knew that if I didn't move away, I would never Mm. get get away from this guy. Mm -hmm. Um, And even then, he contacted me up until 
two, even two years, almost two years after I had left. Wow. He, had con- he was reaching out still, sending me letters, crying about his current relationships that were just so tumultuous. And <laughs> You're like, mirror, buddy. Look yeah. in the mirror. Yeah. yeah. Um, I never sought help for that. I remember going to a therapist and like, do I need medication? Mm. Am I crazy? I feel crazy. Am I losing my mind? Can you just do a test real quick? I was 19. I remember showing up like, can you just tell me am I certifiably crazy? I mean, this man seems to tell me that I am and I I just need to know. And Mm. we sat and we talked and when we left and I was starting to leave after that session and the guy, the, the, the doctor looked at me and I just was leaving and I said, so I'm not crazy. And he looked at me and he goes, no, but you are in a really bad relationship. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so yeah, he, um, even tried to reach out when I moved back up here. Mm, So I'd moved away from him, Mm -hmm. cut him off, Mm -hmm. um, didn't get, um, the therapy, you know, that I really should have sought out after being in something like that. And I just thought, oh, just being away from him will solve the issue. Of course. Um, and then I met my second one, mm-hmm. who I went on to marry and have children with, mm-hmm. and how how he remains undiagnosed. How close in? Um, so, how much time was there between? It these was two? like a year. Okay. Yeah, it was about a year. Okay. I I thought taking a year off would be a great idea yeah. <laughs> from dating yeah. and really getting involved with somebody. I mean, I dated a couple of people, but it never panned out. It wasn't super serious. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew it wasn't going to work out, and then yeah. And I, it's almost like I went from the frying pan right into the fire. So you met your now ex-husband mm-hmm. and t- talk to me about that relationship. Oh man, it was fast and furious mm-hmm. and I ignored every red flag mm-hmm. from my family's not liking or picking up on things. Um, but he fit, he was the whole package. Mm. He fit everything. Mm. He was the whole deal. He was intellectual and kind. He was... Um, smart and funny and loving and uh, jock type, but also now like, you know, trying to be more awakened and enlightened mm. and spiritual. And yeah. So oh, that's, that's, ma- that's a, <laughs> another magical combination. Isn't it though? Yeah. yeah. Uh, godly would be another word for that. Um, but yeah, so it appealed to my, my own spiritual seeking, mm-hmm. right? Again, going back to that five-year-old little girl, yep. why am I here? What am I here to do? What's yep. God? What's this other side of the veil, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I mean, our first conversation, I think we, we drank 12 pots of coffee and, and sat up for 52 hours and it mm-hmm. was just, we talked about everything. There was a lot of sad trauma things that happened to him, mm-hmm. a lot of things in his childhood that... You know, he would tell me, but, you know, I I should have known when the phone was ringing and his current girlfriend was calling to find out where he was, and he didn't feel the need to answer the phone to explain anything to her, and she called worried multiple times. That should have been my first red flag, that you're not being legitimate. You're not operating in integrity. You're not, you're not even like, but I was so enthralled and so, whew, And I would guess that part of that, part of the explanation for that was, See, I'm worth something. He likes me better. Yes. He likes me so oh, much right. that he's willing to ignore her. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Like this is this must be it. so much better for yeah. him. Yeah. Right. So literally, I like four days later, I said to a friend, I, I was like, I think I'm I met the man I'm gonna marry. Like, he's all of it. So there was a lot of like love bombing, a lot of time spent together. Um, he 
he moved in in the first three weeks and brought his clothes over. And I was like, hey, we didn't really discuss this. He's like, oh, no, I'm here so much. I, I need to change after work. But I was so involved, like just so head over heels, I missed everything. Mm-hmm. So we had a 50-50 chance of getting along when there was alcohol involved. And, well, I worked at a bar part mm-hmm. of the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was a part-time job. And um, that's when things started to become physically violent. And I was in a lot of denial as far as it being, um, I would rationalize it, right? He, he's an alcoholic or he was just drinking that night. He didn't mean it. Something was triggered in him. Mm. He would choke me and call me by the name of his ex-girlfriend who he had a child with. And I, I just, I'm like, what is happening? It, it spiraled so fast. Um, my brother moved out. We, we were roommates. He, I can't take him. Mm. Um, and I just felt like I was in too deep already mm-hmm. and that I had to face it alone mm-hmm. because well, this was my, I'm committed to this man. This is who I said I was going to marry. Like, I'm going to do it. Right. That's it. Right. Come hell or high water, literally. Hmm. So um, it was tumultuous for several years. Um, we had a baby. And then um, I, and then one night it was, it was pretty bad. Um, I would have to plan to escape to leave because he would always take my keys. Every time something would get bad and I would try to leave, he would take my keys. This is like an MO for um, domestic assault and, and abuse because this is like the third time I've heard this in the interviews the key taking thing the oh, like, really yeah yeah it's common it's a common theme like to disable obviously yeah. I mean I guess it makes sense but it's just eerie to me that there's almost like a playbook <laughs> right right yeah. and this is and this is what you don't realize when you're in it yeah. is like there are patterns of behavior and there are th- there are certain characteristics and certain traits that mm-hmm. abusers have and you know I I don't know how long of a podcast we could ever do to, to sit and recount every instance. Sure. You know, I mean, right. it's just some of it your brain bo- blocks out. Some of it you forget. There are just major key, key points along the way that stick with you. But, yeah, there. I always say if I only knew, with you know, when I put him in jail finally for domestic violence, um, it was really hard. I mean, it was... The when did scariest that happen? moment. Uh, our daughter, our oldest daughter was a few months old. She was four months old, April. Oh, six months old. She was six months old. I, I still remember the exact date. Mm. I remember the exact time. Um, it was 11.55 at night. Mm. It was October 21st, 2001. Mm. And we had just had our first baby. And I mean, postpartum was really rough to... Uh, get through because I thought having a child mm-hmm. would finally bring our family together and he mm. could be the dad that he wanted to be. And he'd had a son that he hadn't seen for almost two years at this point and would make up all kinds of somewhat viable excuses, believable. They were just barely believable, but yeah. you were still like, maybe that's true for him. You know, maybe right. that's where his, his trauma lies, why he didn't see him, why he wasn't helping provide for him, why he just dropped out of his life. Mm-hmm. He was scared and he didn't know what to do. And instead of saying that, he would come up with all these other things. So, you know, we break up. We get back together. We break up. And finally, he proposes to me and we decide, let's have a baby because that'll make everything better. So um, I did. And I really believed that, like, that was what I wanted. And that was the miracle that was going to keep our family together. And I was just so motherly and nurturing anyway. Yes, I want to have be a young mom. And that way I can still play with my grandkids when I'm have energy and I'm not yeah. super old. We had a beautiful baby girl and it broke my heart. The journals that I would keep 
uh, of him just hardly holding her, not helping in the process. You know, here he tells you, this is everything that I want. And then there was no action. Mm. Um, it was so sad to me. It was sad to his mother to watch, you know, her, her son repeat what she felt was a repeat of her marriage mm-hmm. um, to his dad. And it was just like... I felt so alone. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's you can be alone, and that feels worse, but it feels there's something worse in feeling alone when you're with somebody oh, and you're totally sure. rejected and isolated. Yeah, well, when you're actually alone, you expect to be. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. When you have a partner, you right. expect them to behave as, as one. Um, yeah, and I, I just would grieve me because she would hear the way he would talk to me or she would hear us fighting and that she would hear us in utero and that, and that this would somehow become her new reality. Mm. So there was a lot triggered Because for me. you, that, right. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because that was your story. Yeah. yeah. For me, yeah. that's that's how I feel like I got to where I was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that night, um, he was having back pain a lot that day. Everything was agitating him. He played video games, sitting in the same spot for hours and hours. Just addiction, 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 addiction. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't alcoholism, it was something that he was addicted to obsessively. Mm-hmm. Um and I just mentioned, like, hey, why don't you try seeing a chiropractor? And, oh, my God, he came unglued. I mean, just normal things. Mm-hmm. That, so I left the house and walked, and I remember crying and crying. Came back. Um, I finally was just exhausted. Went to bed. And he said, I love you. And I just remember saying, you know, that's changed for me. I don't, I'm not going to pursue this anymore. I'm not going to say I love you back. Mm. And I, I went into the room. All of a sudden, I hear running. So I held the door like this, and I had my head turned, and he came crashing through that door. Mm. And wood broke off from the door and went into my eye. And I could feel it starting to swell already. Mm. Um, he grabbed me, started to throw me on the bed while our baby was sleeping there. I had just laid her down and, from nursing her and had her all cuddled in bed. Um, haven't talked about this for a while. Um, then he threw me on the floor. So I put my foot out and I was able to bounce off the bed mm-hmm. so he wouldn't throw me on our baby. Mm-hmm. And then we landed on the floor and he was choking me to tell me he was going to kill me. And for the first time, I believed him. Mm-hmm. For the first time in my life, I thought, oh my God, I have to. I like instantly was like, I have to survive for my child. Yeah. What is he going to do to her if I'm not here? Mm-hmm. Where is he going to go? Mm-hmm. What's going to happen to her life? So, um, he got off of me, and she woke up, of course, so I went straight to her, took her into her nursery, hoping he'd leave us alone. So I started nursing her, and he came in, and he ripped her off my breast and took her away from me. Hmm. And I thought, oh, my God, like, she wants me. Like, she just is looking at me confused. I mean, first she wakes up to this, and mm-hmm. now she can't even be comforted or nursed, mm-hmm. and he won't give her back. I'm like, give her back to me. And he's like, No. And he used to threaten me. And my mother, I'll have my mother raise the kids. He mm-hmm. would like use them as collateral mm-hmm. and possessive and just be very possessive. Um, so I just remember making sure to tell him for some reason it was so important for me to, to make him feel some level of responsibility for damaging this house I just paid for and moved into because mm-hmm. <laughs> I was paying the bills. Um, that's always how that worked. Yeah. Um, and I said, if you think I'm taking, I'm going to go make her a bottle is what I said. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you think that I'm taking responsibility for that door that you just came barreling through, you're wrong. Like I was, I remember like, I felt like I had to shift some kind of power back yeah. in my direction. Yeah. He just took our baby. Yeah. I, you know, had just been 
physically assaulted, and he walked over and just wham hit me right upside the other side of my face. Mm. And I was just like, oh my God, he's losing his, um, this is bad. Like, so I went into the kitchen to make her a bottle, and while he was in there with her, I snuck over to the phone and I called the police. Mm. And I said, you have to get here now. Like, I don't know what, what else is going to happen. Mm-hmm. So then he started coming out, so I hung up. And the phone rings. Oh, God. And I'm like, he's like, who is that? And I go, I don't know. And I answer. And they're like, we just need to know if he has any guns. And I'm sitting here like, why would you call me back when I tell you on the phone? Like, he doesn't know I'm calling. I just send somebody. I don't care if you have to break in the house. It's already half broken at this point. Just get here. Yes, they had to know that, but I'm like, he took my baby, like, and they called back, and I lied, and I told them it was my friend who had been going through a really hard time, and I just said, I can't talk right now, and mm. I hung up. Mm. <sighs> Thankfully, he believed that. That was wise. I, I don't know if I would have... I just, you just go in survival mode, yeah. and at anything at that point, like, like, it's funny the things that I remember now that I don't, that I wouldn't remember if I'm not, like, back in that space. Yeah. You know, like, my, my body's tense right now, I'm... I'm throat chakra is closing. I have tears in my eyes. Like this is, you know, and that wasn't sadly the first incident of, but that was a very defining moment because after that he knew that I would always put him in jail for laying a hand on me. Mm. Um, I wish I could say that I knew that most uh, domestic abuse situations, you are at the highest risk of being killed you know, after you get that restraining order, after, you know, 60 days to 90 days, even a year after you go through that process, they're going to try everything they can and tug on every emotional button that they can push to get you to get, to get control back, to get back into your life. I wish somebody would have said that to me Mm -hmm. because of all the things that happened right after that. I should not have been left alone after that. I should not have lived continuously. I should not have continued to live on my own. But I had a job. I had a baby to provide for. I had a, a lease, a, a house to take to pay for, yeah. a car to, to pay for. And so he he got arrested that night. He tried to blame me, and the cop said, "You know, Joni, zebras don't change their stripes. Mm-hmm. This is always going to be how your relationship is. We've been in this long enough. Please don't ever go back to him." It was humiliating because I had to go to the you know police department and have they take pictures of my face. Mm. They would incrementally, you know, how long did it take to heal? The judge granted me a full two-year restraining order. But what I wasn't expecting when we showed up at court was that he would be in a suit and he would be clean shaven and he'd be carrying a Bible. Mm. And I said to my domestic violent advocate, after only two weeks of being away, I wasn't expecting him to look like this. What's changed in his life? Oh, now there's hope. Now there's hope. There was distant hope, but that little spark turned into a flame Mm. because he was having his mother call me, Mm. which was a violation Mm -hmm. of the, you know, order of protection. His whole family was calling me. Some people were reaching out to be supportive. Others were scared they'd never see their granddaughter again. Yeah. Um, I was scared to let his ex know anything because... He was, you know, just starting the process of getting to see his son again. Mm. That was going to be our family. I got this whole house because it had a room for my son, my stepson. Mm. So, um, yeah, that was a lot to deal with at 22 and 23 Jeez, years old. Yeah, you were a baby. <laughs> yeah, 
didn't even know really, but I was going to do it. Yeah. You know, eternal Pollyanna was I. Yeah. <laughs> I was. I was like the cheerleader of all cheerleaders. <laughs> We're going to, it's okay. I'm going to fix it. I got it. I'm fine. As the water's under my nose and I'm drowning. So, you know, that was just one instance. The, the, what it ended up turning into after that was a God grab. That's what I call it, a God grab. It was my own curiosity of could we be different mm. with God in our lives, right? We've never tried that. Right, we've tried All the other things else. we've tried, yeah, but, but we've never tried that. Yeah. So we, uh, he wrote me a letter from jail on a piece of toilet paper. He would leave me. He came into the house to get his things and would leave me notes. And then, you know, his mom started calling, uh, told me I disobeyed the man of the house. Mm. And then apologized and had to backpedal out of that and sent me a card apologizing. Just real. There was a, a, a very deeply fundamentalist religious side to his family. Mm. His mother had gotten involved in that religion. And so when he was 12, after his parents' divorce, mm. was launched into this fundamentalist Christian world, where, which he's been backslidden for all that time until that moment. Until maybe we could use it. Yeah. So I promised his sisters when they were calling me that I would never be in that cult that they were raised in. I would never do that. No, my gosh, no, that's so horrible. I've been trying to help your mom get out of it all these years that I've known her now. Mm-hmm. And I did the very thing I said I wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. Never say never. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty soon, the phone calls, uh, the emails that he was sending me, because he was only allowed, court-ordered, only allowed to contact me through email. I refused any other contact, mm-hmm. and only about our daughter. And if it wasn't just about our daughter, then... I wasn't going to respond, and I was not legally bound to. Mm-hmm. Um, he sent me a 26-page email explaining everything. Mm. Here's why I've been the way I am. Here's how I fell into alcoholism. I hate myself. I'm so upset. Um, God's forgiven me. I've been on these 10-day fasts for your soul. I just want my family back. But then in it were also was also news of him hanging out with these new Christian groups, and it triggered the insecurities in me that he would somehow move on with mm-hmm. another woman who's a Christian woman, mm-hmm. perfect Christian little home, and that somehow somebody would get the best parts of him that I always knew he was had the potential to reach. Oh yeah. Oh, that got me good. Yeah. And that's exactly why that's part of why I went back. Yeah. You know, yes, I still had love. Yes, I still had all of the same feelings. You just are confused by all of the hurt. And that was the frog slowly boiling in water to yes. us joining a fundamentalist religious cult, moving four hours away from my three hours away from my family, isolated on a farm. Mm. Nobody could hear the arguments or the screams. Didn't have a car really anyway. Cars would break down, wouldn't get fixed. I'd be there. Phone would get shut off. Wouldn't I didn't work anymore mm. because during that whole tumultuous process, we got custody of my stepson. So then I couldn't leave, especially if anything struck back up again. But I was so convinced he was a changed man. Yeah. So then he he became the sole financial provider. All the and power. I was home all with all the, the kids. Yeah. Yep. And I lived on high on hope for a long time, fasting, praying, attending church meetings. Finally, six years into the marriage, I took everything that reminded me of our marriage off of the walls. Pictures from our wedding, which my family never attended Mm. because they couldn't support it. They couldn't get behind it. Mm -hmm. Um, I homeschooled our kids. 
I learned things I never thought I would learn. Mm-hmm. And I look back at that now, and those were some of the best days of my life, and they were some of the worst days of my life. And through deep manipulation, deep manipulation, I have learned how strong I really am. Mm-hmm. And that going through all of that, the alchemy in all of this, mm-hmm. is realizing what I'm capable of. Right. And it's a hell of a way to find out. Yeah. But, man, I'm really intelligent. I'm really strong. I'm really powerful. I've endured things mentally that I don't know that I would have come out okay on the other side of. It's usually our suffering that shows us that. Yeah. Almost always. Yeah. So was he a changed man? For a short period. Yeah. How long? Yeah. A couple months. Okay. I'd never seen him last more than really, you know, two to four weeks. This was about mm, three months. And I was like, he's gone past the limit. It must be permanent. Yeah. Yeah. When did you know it wasn't permanent? Um, Shortly after we were married because it was so quick to get us married, right? We got to do it right in God's eyes. Oh, right. And I had intense, the pastor would drive up to the house uh, where I was living, because we, we still, before we moved, I was getting all these Bible studies for months. Hmm. And so that was like December. And then um, I told him, our, ba- our baby got sick, and I said, if I end up taking her to the hospital, I'll, I'll call you and you can come with. He showed up with his car packed. He moved back in that night. Hmm. I slept in separate bedrooms from him for a hmm. while, hmm. and he was okay with that. I refused to have sex with him before our first before we got married Mm -hmm. because now I'm going to be born again. Got it. I was baptized right before we got married. Because you're going to do it right. Because I'm going to do it right. We're going to do it right. And then it's going to be fine. My whole heart, man. Yeah. Yeah. So you're out on the farm. You were there for how long? Um, It ended up being about 12 years. 12 years. Yeah. What was your life like then? Um, Fundamentalist, Christian... I mean, think Michelle Duggar without all the Duggars, <laughs> without all the kids. <laughs> Less social, D- maybe, Duggar in some Duggar. ways. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I wore the long skirts. Yeah. I didn't wear makeup. I didn't cut my hair. didn't wear jewelry. No outward adornment of myself. And in some ways, that was really freeing. Yeah, I bet. You know, I really tuned into my own feminine, you know, counterculture nature. Yeah. Like, I'm so sick of the expectations of me to look this way or that way. I'm just going to be. Mm-hmm. But in that, I was also letting myself go, not caring about myself because I was so busy taking care of everybody else. It was mm-hmm. exhausting. Um, I learned how to do a lot of things, bake bread, <laughs> grow veggies in the garden. <laughs> so they're all good life I skills. I loved all of these things, right? I was so Pollyanna. I'm like, oh, look at me go. Look at me go. <laughs> and then I'm like, and look at me go away. Yeah. Look Where at, am I? Yeah. Yeah. Look at who you aren't anymore. I didn't even know who I was. I mean, I was just, there was this confusion of God's way versus man's way, mm-hmm. right? There's this confusion of being a subservient, submissive wife and making three meals a day and making sure I met all of the domesticated needs, then the emotional needs of all the kids, plus his physical needs. Sex with narcissists, I will say, is amazing. Hmm. Always has been. Because it's about their performance and not usually about oh, you. Oh, okay, sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Yeah. So in your response to that is a part of their performance. Right. Um, I was disconnected from everything that I was. Everything that light was going, was yeah. dimming and going away. And I started to feel really sick in my body. And I had adrenal fatigue. Mm-hmm. Um, 
how many years ago, 14 years ago now, I just remember there was this one instance, I just woke up one day and I couldn't keep going. Mm-hmm. My body wouldn't let me. I was stuck in bed, like I had no energy. I probably slept 20 to 21 hours a day. Wow. I was exhausted. And he would yell at me that I didn't have enough faith to be healed. Look at you. You're not even able to raise your arm. How could, you can't even praise God. Mm. You can't even praise God. I pray for you. You don't really want to be healed. Wow. The um, it's I'm there's some I have some conflict with this this season because there are lots of people who I've interviewed so far who have who very much understand their healing and their freedom mm-hmm. through a very Christian lens. Mm-hmm which I appreciate. It's true to their experience, and I can see it on them, you yeah. know? I have a very, uh, not not by any stretch the same as your sure, story, no but um, I have a very similar understanding of um, organized religion to, to be largely a power grab. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has not been particularly healing for me. And I'm trying to make space in this season for all of those voices, for yeah. all of those perspectives, because it's important. But as you describe this experience, I'm like, those are the, that is the... It's the epitome, right? The epitome it's the exact it. reason yeah. why you're like... Yeah, can't... Yeah. yeah, right. As you're describing things like the amount of control and manipulation it takes for somebody to say, see, you don't even want to be healed. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't I just my Like, I have a visceral response to that that makes yeah. me angry I kind of want to vomit like yeah. it's just it's so manipulative well you know it was it's all about s- suppressing um any equality yeah it's all about um you know God's the head your yeah. husband's next right and it's you and the children right like we're like we're just non-independent thinkers and that if we become independent I mean we are it was yelled at me more than once that it's better for a man to go live on the rooftop than to be in a room with a contentious wife Mm. Um, so everything about me that was independent thinking and free-flowing and loving it was like I was slowly being turned into and yes it was my own will that did that as well right like some part of me had to be okay with that to continue and that that acceptance part came later understanding that came later because Mm -hmm. otherwise I felt like people were just blaming me more and more and more and then it just felt like more victim blaming more victim blaming and I just felt worse and yeah even more worthless. Right. I was already worthless, but this was worthless right. on a whole other right. level. Right, because then I allowed I'm, it. Yeah, yeah. because yeah. then I allowed it. Yeah. And, and then there was the the thing about God. Yeah. Could God thing. allow this? Yeah. You know, right. why would God allow this? Right. So when I was starting to, um, our home, you know, um, one of the things I regret is you know, spanking my children. That was, I was not that mom. I was a new crunchy mama. Like, mm-hmm. I don't spank my babies. Are mm-hmm. you kidding me? Like, I'm going to learn how to do this without any physical violence because I don't want that in my home. That's what I came from. Like, I'm not doing that. And um, spare the rod, spoil the child. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they help you understand why you need to. Right. And they have instruction manuals on how to do that. There are books out there that I was given mm-hmm. on how to do that. Um, my youngest is the least affected. My oldest, my son in particular, was abused. Mm-hmm. Abused. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, I remember him throwing him to the ground. Um, I had to take his lead as the parent of his son. Right. You don't tell me what to do to my son. Right. Um, this is what I want you to do when he is in trouble. That kid was tortured. 
Hmm. Like it's, it hurts me to even speak out loud some of what he endured. Hmm. And even though I don't get to see him to this day, that's a whole nother, you know, thing. I was never allowed to adopt him. I was never allowed to, um, take him with me when I left. I was always threatened that he would call out an Amber Alert mm-hmm. and report his son as kidnapped by me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and here I believed him. I believe that's the thing with with what I believe to be borderline personality disorder. Most of them don't get diagnosed because they're narcissists and they're perfect and there's nothing wrong with them. It's everybody else. Right. So why would they go to therapy to get diagnosed, mm-hmm. right? But when they start running in the sociopath, psychopathy, and the pendulum starts swinging in those Mm-hmm. areas it gets really really um dangerous mm-hmm. so uh yeah he um that's the one thing I, I regret most spanking my children yeah you know I I have apologized and apologized my older girls sometimes they get mad that I that I see you would have spanked us for that with my younger one. Oh yeah and that yeah I and I say I'm, I'm sorry yeah you know that's all I can say I'm yeah. sorry I I did what I thought was okay at that time right but there was still something in my gut that I knew like I wasn't I felt shame afterwards Mm -hmm. and sorrow yeah and that's no way to live that's just me ignoring my own intuition again yeah at that point you were so divorced though from your own you could still hear your instinct which is amazing Mm. but you had done but yeah there had been so like you said you you had disappeared in so much of that anyway oh yeah I'll never forget Right before I left, about six months before I left, my sister, my closest sister and I, she, she pulled me aside. And, you know, at this point I was over 250 pounds, mm-hmm. despite a clean organic diet, non-GMO. Like mm-hmm. I got everything from my Amish farmers. I didn't, um, we didn't indulge a whole lot in fast food. Mm-hmm. It was, I didn't emotionally eat. I was doing cleanses and fasts and trying to figure out what's wrong with me after this adrenal fatigue it's thyroid it's it's adrenal fatigue it's chronic stress it's all of it and my sister came over and she, or I was we were up visiting her and she was crying she said you just look so uncomfortable we don't recognize you anymore we don't even know who you are anymore you just aren't you mm. and she's just crying and I just I know I know you just, you do, you go through these points where you look at yourself and you think, okay, this is the new me. Okay, I'm okay. I can accept that. I love that. And then you have these memories of how you used to be. Yeah. It's like dancing. I loved dancing, but that wasn't godly. Not the way I danced. <laughs> <laughs> Those hips start moving and grinding and then the music and there's no way God's going to love you for that. You sexual, oh, you know, yeah. woman you for enticing men. Because you're not, you know, made to be sexual. My God. Yeah. Tell but me. wasn't that what he loved about me in the first place? Right. That's the, right. So I throw that so out So many, there. so many layers. Of oh, there are so many layers. So... So yeah, survive, surviving that and realizing I needed to get out was really a, a coming home to myself. Mm-hmm. Work colleagues, when I finally decided to start making a career again, and, you know, start shifting in the dynamic of toward my career. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it had to be done at home, and then I found a little radio station that would allow me to do commercials for them, and then I suddenly I had an office, and I was able to bring my kids to mm-hmm. school with me. And, or to work with me and homeschool them in the office. And they'd help me make commercials, and it was really cute. And, uh, you know, I, I felt like, okay, I was able to open up my own bank account. I was able mm. to get my own car. I knew he knew what that meant because mm. it took me three years of, like, I'll do whatever it takes to keep this family together, but I'm also planning to leave because 
I'm miserable Mm -hmm. and I don't want. My biggest fear was not staying. My biggest fear was dying from staying and not living life while I was here. Mm. Like, again, back to that five-year-old. I'm here to do something and I'm here with a purpose and I'm not doing it. Like, yes, I'm these mothers, these children's mother and I'm homeschooling them and I'm loving them and I'm loving this man who's been really difficult to love, but I've lost myself mm-hmm. and how am I ever going to find a way? Mm-hmm. Where's my path mm-hmm. in all of this when I, I am so little and I'm so worthless and I'm nothing mm-hmm. and I'm just some dumb woman who doesn't know how to make any decisions for herself and who can't even own anything. Nothing was put in my name. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he didn't think I could get a car. Mike, I had no credit because I would never bought anything. Right. And, um, I found a bank who would give me a loan for a car based mm-hmm. on what little I made at the radio station. And I know that day changed everything because mm-hmm. I got my own bank account. Well, then he went in and took my name off of our, our joint account. So then I was only given an allowance for food. And we just had, you know, move after move one particular year. And it just, it did me in. I was just done. I knew that I had to leave. So uh, we were actually living in Missouri at one point. And it was the final instance of abuse. He Mm -hmm. was going to beat my son with his belt and had him on the ground, and I intervened. Mm -hmm. And I put him behind me, and he was coming at me, and he had his hands on my chest. I had bruises after that. My son was behind me, and he was trying to get after him. I'm like, I'm not going to stand by and watch you abuse this child. Mm -hmm. I just can't, you know? And then he reached behind and put his head through the wall real quick. Mm. Later in court, he he laughed about it. He and my son laughed about it. They were arguing and questioning my lawyer as to whether or not it was plaster or drywall. Hmm. Because, you know, that acts differently when you're putting somebody's head through it. Mm-hmm. So he admitted without really admitting it. You know, of course they deny it. They said, I tripped and fell and pushed him back. Mm. And that's how his head right. went through the wall. Right. It was just like, I mean, ridiculous excuses that do not make sense. And that's how it's crazy making. That's how when you're dealing with someone with this level of mental illness and trauma that's been unprocessed and untreated, mm-hmm. um, you try to rationalize their behavior mm-hmm. and make some kind of logical sense around it. And you can't. Right. There's just, you just can't. There isn't any, yeah. There isn't. And so you kind of make yourself crazy yeah, trying, trying to figure to. out. Trying to map it. Yeah. 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 So how did you leave? Wow. Well, um, the last, that last mm-hmm. violent incident, um, it just did, it did me in. So um, I was going to leave, but we were in a new place. And then I was afraid that if I called the authorities, um, because I had ripped his shirt off with one hand, <laughs> I just trying to get him off of him and ripped his... I mean, I had so much adrenaline. Yeah. Um, I was afraid that he would try to get me put in jail as well, and then my mm-hmm. children would be in the foster system because mm-hmm. that's how he operates. He doesn't go down alone. He doesn't. He plays dirty. So I knew that I didn't want to do that, and I felt really stuck, and then I finally just made arrangements with um, our old landlords who are like my earth angels. They watched all of. They watched so much of this go down, mm-hmm. and they finally picked up on it. And you know, she was the first motherly figure in my life to say, "You know, you don't have to do all of this. Mm. You don't have to go through this." And they were very Christian people. Mm. Yeah. 
And I and they were evil Christians because you know they were the first ones. They they wanted to buy my kids swimsuits. Oh, right. To swim at their house. Yeah, not real Christians. You can't no right. No. So they're I mean you know you see how like they just micro yeah. micro micro just. Um, and she had short hair. Oh. And that made her not a real Christian either. But I'm they have been, they have been God's love in our life. Mm. That's beautiful. Sacrificial. I mean to the point of, you know them also feeling the wake of his wrath after I left and being accused and Mm. horrible people, so horrible that they, you know, gave our family thousands and thousands of dollars to help Mm. him start his business. And so we would flourish and started watching the kids every six weeks and giving him money to take me out on dates just so we could try to save what was left of our marriage. Mm. The only thing they really hated was that he was drinking again. Mm. And I told him, I've already been through you with alcoholism once. I'm not going through it again. And that was a thing, to my knowledge, we hadn't drank in our marriage for like seven years. There was no alcohol, none that I ever purchased, mm. none that I ever knew of that he had drank. Mm. But I don't know because he was an over-the-road truck driver for a long time. Oh, I didn't realize that. And so I was on the farm by myself so much. Got it. Yeah. So um, when I left, they let me stay with them mm-hmm. for a month until I figured out where I was going to go and what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. Got a job back in the Quad Cities and radio. Thank mm-hmm. goodness. Old friends called me to see if I was available. And I'm like, yep. Very. Okay, doors are opening. Yeah. And um, yeah, I finally left. And I took very little. I took only what I needed, clothes for the girls, some pictures, some files, and that was it. Mm. What I could fit in my vehicle. Mm. How long ago was that? Left it all away. Six years. And it, t- it was a three-year Category 5 hurricane divorce. Mm. I'll bet. Lifetime Movie Network stuff. <laughs> Lifetime Movie Network stuff. <laughs> I'll bet. So, yeah. Um, the only thing that was scarier than living with and staying with your abuser is leaving them. Yeah. And he made sure that every person who supported me was smeared. Mm -hmm. Paid for it somehow. Absolutely. Um, Character smears, false accusations, um, any kind of destabilization. Mm -hmm. And my children suffered psychologically the most out of all of that. Yeah, I'll bet. Oh, my gosh. And we're still untangling. We're still untangling. I'm still... um, healing, you know, uh, it's gotten, I mean, I lost 80 pounds in the first four months. Mm. It was like, (laughs) I'm like, I'm going to be in my fighting weight in two months, folks. I'm back. (laughs) And then it just didn't stop coming off. It just stopped right there. Like I still have weight to lose, but it's not going to, it's not coming off easily. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I dropped a lot of weight pretty quickly just out of just not having enduring that every day. Mm -hmm. And I went into the Y phase for about three years. Why him? Why is he like that? What's happened to him in his life that was so horrible? And when you have that empathy, mm-hmm. that's what keeps you there. You right. see their wounded child and right. you say, oh my gosh, you were treated so horribly. Yeah. Let my love open the door. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let me love you. Those parts that weren't loved for you or that you were, you were neglected or abused in, let me, let me love you to that point where it fixes that, mm-hmm. where love can heal anything. So what would that mean about you if you could have healed him? Well, I think it was false pride. Right. 
I mean, it was ego. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I was measuring my worthy, my worthiness Mm -hmm. and my enoughness by my capacity to heal another human being. And it's like, uh, excuse me, get the toothpick out of your own eye or like, like before you go trying to help him get the toothpick out of his, get the telephone pole out of yours. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like I wasn't seeing my own unhealed pain, my own unhealed trauma. Right. I wasn't. When, when abuse is your normal, mm-hmm. it feels normal, so you don't think anything super bad. Like, you know it's bad, but you don't know it's enough that, like, no, psychologically, you're having this neurologic response. Your My entire central nervous system rewired itself. Mm-hmm. Like, when I'm supposed to be feeling rest and relaxation, my fight or flight is going off. Right. Like I told you this in hot yoga. When I started to um, notice this was a, a thing mm-hmm. was when I got in quiet spaces, mm-hmm. and I did hot yoga, and we were laying at the end. Shavasana, right? Is that mm-hmm. what you say, right? Shavasana, yeah. And um, it's like a bear was chasing me in the woods and I'm crying. Yeah. I had no idea. And I'm like, hold on. I'm, I'm more well-studied now in the body. <laughs> I understand what this is. And I, well, how did it get there, you know? So your your body keeps the score. It's yeah. a really great book. book yeah. Bessel Vander, Vander Kolk. Yeah. And... Um, it started to show up in other ways. My acupuncturist was doing a tongue analysis, and she said... You're also the second interview to talk about tongue analysis. Really? An acupuncture. <laughs> she said... She looked at my tongue, and she said, do you see that, that slit, that split that you have at the point of your tongue? There's the trauma. Yeah. It's showing up. It's amazing. That's amazing. One of my daughters... Huh, the, and this is what really... I carry, you know, I carry some guilt still sure. for having put my children through this uh, longer than mm-hmm. what I should have ever, you know, would have been the right answer. Never. Um, she had a lot of dental issues. Mm-hmm. And when I, um, she had like a filling fallout and a nerve exposed, and it was just like a lot of pain and trauma in her mouth at a young age. And um, nobody picked up on it. And I, I started seeing a more holistic dentist. And um, she pulled me aside and she said, um, when in your pregnancy were you in a car accident? I said, I wasn't. And then she looked at me and she goes, were you, were you domestically abused during your pregnancy? And I remember this pregnancy was really rough. It was rough. He, he had made me get down on my hands and knees to show my subservientness to him during a fight that lasted a really long time. Mm. And, you know, no woman does that willingly, by the way. It's not like I was like, sure, anything for you. Um, you know, I fought it. I fought it. And then I realized that he was not... Um, he was really weak. Mm-hmm. He needed to assume any control the way he could, but mm-hmm. only I couldn't get to my kids until I did it. Right. And mm-hmm. they needed to be put in bed, and they were crying. So I got down on my hands and knees, mm-hmm. and he started petting me like a dog. That was, you know, I was pregnant during this time. Mm-hmm. And she would kick me in the pregnancy, and it would put me on the ground. Like, she would just stretch out and, like, tense up and stretch mm-hmm. her legs out and just kick me in the back, and it would just trigger mm-hmm. things in my legs and I just would crumble. Mm-hmm. I fell a lot during that pregnancy just to the floor because mm-hmm. I was in so much pain with her kicking me. So the dentist said um, she has no enamel on her teeth, on her baby teeth. And it's only during severe traumatic traumatic situations that we see this, either in car accidents or domestically abused wow. situations. Wow. 
So she had a ton of dental issues. Yeah, with no enamel. Um, yeah. Right, with no enamel. And so I was worried that her permanent adult teeth would have the same issue. Mm-hmm. And happy to report that has been healed and she's okay, right? So, but it was just that aha moment of like, that's where that came from. This is why. I was like so isolated from some of what the reality of the world was. Like I didn't have TV. Um, you know, I finally got the internet because I became a transcriptionist from home and had to make money from home so mm. I could stay with the kids and not send them in a daycare. So yeah, it's really interesting um, all of the things that show up now that you're, I'm removed that I realize stemmed from that level of abuse. Right. Yeah. So when you left, and we need to wrap here in just a few minutes. Sure. So talk a little bit um, about what you've used to find some healing. Mm. Well, it was um, a lot of therapy, you know, a lot of reflection back to me, what's yeah. normal yeah. and like what's healthy yeah. and then what boundaries are. Like everything was really incremental. And then going into my own childhood wounds, yep. right? And understanding, okay this set me up for this. Okay. I understand the influence of my parents. It was, you know, a lot of tough conversations with my parents, Yeah, you know, telling my parents about sexual abuse they didn't know about, telling them the impacts that the abuse in their life caused, yeah, had on me. Um, thank God for friends. Hmm. Oh my gosh, I've had the most supportive, unbelievably amazing friends. And I cannot take credit for my healing. I can take credit for my healing individually, like in my own power. Yes, I chose that. But I have certainly been provided an amazing group of people in my life that I know I would not have been as far along in my healing journey had I not had the amount of support that just came out mm-hmm. just at, at every, every corner, everywhere I turned, it was there. Yeah. Just like, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. Um, I did a lot of with, um, healing the mother wound work. Mm-hmm. Bethany Webster is amazing. Um, there aren't many people out there talking about mother wounds mm-hmm. and how we internalize things from our mothers as children mm-hmm. and how that plays out and plays its role in our life. Yeah. It's kind of like this program running in the background of your computer, like virus or malware or something. Yeah. And um, it's running everything and you just aren't aware that it's there. Right. It's and, the hum that you, yep. you don't even hear anymore. Yeah. yeah. So um, really going in and dissecting that, allowing my feelings to get back mm. into my intuition. So mm. like pain is a process. Mm. Grief is a process. Healing is a process. And when you don't, I just stopped fighting. I stopped fighting the bad feelings and decided to just accept them Mm -hmm. and allow them to push through. And like some days may feel like a tsunami. Other days it might feel like a little wave. But if you stand there and you plant your feet firmly and you allow it to wash over you, does it feel good? No. Is it super comfortable? No. But you surrender to it. And then it will recede. It moves through you. Yes. It moves through you, and talk, it does get better. Yes. I talk about this a lot, about we, the thing we're afraid of with our emotions or lots of things. We're afraid it will consume us or annihilate us or something. And then that becomes this cycle of avoidance because of fear of being annihilated. But the, it's that's just never true. It's right. just It's just like the monster under your bed. Like, you really will survive it. You just have to let it move through you. Right. Yeah. 
I mean, humans, we're resilient. Yeah, we are. We are so resilient. We're bent on survival. It's oh actually gosh. hardwired. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> so I, you know, I find meaning in a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I've opened up my mind to more spiritual practices that mm-hmm. have served tribes for, you know, the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I found ritual to be really important, mm-hmm. you know, recognizing when I have a need and meeting that need. Yeah. And also having ritual where it's just time for me. So I do 15 minutes of meditation like every morning. That mm-hmm. is my time to process things. And I, I literally talk to my body again like a friend. Mm, that's good. Yeah. And so that helps me to reconnect with my own intuition, mm-hmm. reconnect with my own inner knowing and my own inner wisdom. Mm-hmm. And through all of that and through the years of therapy and personal development work, like who has time to get in other relationships? <laughs> like, I'm busy in the I'm, one with me. Uh-huh. I'm yeah. busy. I'm busy having a relationship with me, and I'm I'm happy. Yeah. I'm happy. Yeah. And they and there are ways to have sex without having to go have sex with everybody else. It's wonderful. That is. That is I've awesome. reconnected. That is awesome. Yes, I've yeah. reconnected with my own sexual healing, and you know it's funny. Right before I left, that I mean, sexual energy is a huge. Yeah. A whole nother show that we could do because it's 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 a huge mover of creative energy yes, and creation is. power within. And when I started to reconnect with that, it was like a month before I had the, I'm done. Mm. I'm it. I'm that's, I mean, out. I'm out now. There is something very, oh, I don't have the right word. Um, but it, powerful is just inadequate about connecting to that part of our energy. There's something primal. That's the word I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Primal about connecting to our sexual energy. It reminds us who we are. It's a primal blueprint. Yeah. Yeah. And I had disconnected from that for so long, dissociated completely of in course. many ways. Yeah. And I was like, who are you? And how are you going to get to know yourself again? So know thyself became a really strong, yeah. strong uh, motto, I think, in, in my life. Um, in making my journey back home to myself. That's beautiful. So I could be and show up in the world yeah. and show up for my children in my fullness, in a fullness that I don't even know that I have completely discovered yet, but I'm on the process. Yeah. I know that I'm on that journey because it feels, I feel, you know, like I'm feeling more now than I ever have, yeah. and I'm honoring my own intuition more now than I ever have, and I'm acting on that more now than I ever have. And I mean, you know, the stories, the stories of, of abuse and the stories of, of people that I meet or people that I attract who are also abusive, it's still happening. Mm-hmm. And I used to beat myself up and say, what is it about me? What is so broken about me that these people still think it's okay to come into my life? Mm-hmm. And I say, you have to give them permission. You can be the front door. Right. Shut the front door. Right. It means a whole new thing now. Shut the front door. Shut the front door. Shut they, the front door. If they show up, shut the door. Yeah. Like, it's that's okay. it. You don't have to engage. Just because they show up, I feel like sometimes it's the universe saying, are you sure you're through? Are you sure you're done? Mm-hmm. Here, let me send another one your way. Well, maybe it's just practice. Sure. Well, practice makes perfect, yeah, right? Exactly. I mean, if, if, I'm, if I don't become well-versed in knowing these things mm-hmm. and knowing how to identify and say no, and, you know, it's, it's just interesting how I've, I keep changing. And I'm, I don't want to be the same person next year that I am this year. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like core things about me that are me, and then there are all these other little things that get refined mm-hmm. or that I let go of because it's not necessary to hold on to it anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, stories like this story, you know, when am I going to stop telling 
this survival story mm-hmm. because it's amazing that I've come through this, but I'm super interested in all the places I'm going to go after. This was just a blip on the map. It was a speed bump. Mm, that's so good, Joni. You can't top that. That's really good. That's, I want to know where I'm going to go after. Yeah. Perfect. Because there's so much more life to live after yeah. that yeah. thing that happens. It's like, yeah, I tripped and broke my leg, but that sucker is going to heal. And guess what? Then I'm running the marathon. So actually, that's a perfect segue. Um, the last question that I ask is... Do you want me to join the triathlon with you? Yeah. Is that what you're going to ask me? I do not run. <laughs> <Okay>. Ever. <laughs> um the last question that I ask is, uh, it's about the women in our audience who are surviving something. Yes. What is it that um, you want them to know besides you have more living to do after this? Because mm-hmm. I think that was very clear in your ending. So tell me what it is that you want them to know. Um, stop judging yourself so harshly mm-hmm. because that only keeps you from getting out. Mm-hmm. If you think about all the things that and keep beating yourself up because I, you know, nobody can beat you up worse than you, mm-hmm. especially in those situations. Right. I mean, they'll beat you up pretty badly, but you, the internal chaos that you go through after you've been assaulted, is far worse. Mm-hmm. Um, stop judging yourself. Love yourself fiercely, and be the parent to you that you wished you would have had. Mm, that's perfect. Yeah. You know, when you love yourself. As fiercely as you love your children, mm. then you won't let that happen to you. Mm-hmm. Then you'll come home. To then yourself. you come home to yourself, yeah. and that's just one step. Yeah. That's just one small step in the long journey of coming home. That's and then perfect. we go home. That's perfect. Yeah. Thank you, Joni. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. friends that's it for our time with Joni I'm so hopeful that you were able to find something for yourself in her words I know that I did particularly the part where she talked about how pain and grief and healing are a process that's always been a difficult reality for me I prefer that um, we can move through these things these unpleasant emotions quickly but it was so so resonant with me when she talked about how Sometimes this is like a tsunami, and what I need to do is plant my feet firmly and wait for it to wash over me, and then it will recede. So much wisdom in that, because that is exactly what the experience for me um, has been like, the experience of grief and pain and loss and healing. I'll make sure that I link to resources for survivors in the show notes, and I'll also include a link to Joni's podcast, Homegrown Health, which really brings in a lot of topics that are important to Joni and have been important in her healing process. If you love today's episode, be sure that you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review so that other people can find us. Thank you so much for lending your voice to our chorus of courage today as we create a world where women belong with substance and with strength. I'll see you all soon.